and welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white people about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? The theme song you heard is a recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement, We Are Building Up a New World. This recording is from a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014. It was led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Jean Jeffress. I'm back with you during this time of pandemic and global uprisings and election season. I'm grateful for the invitation to contribute my thoughts and words to this body of work. I am a member and a lay leader at the First Congregational Church of Oakland, United Church of Christ, and I'm a candidate for ordination in the United Church of Christ. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and currently live in the city of Oakland, which exists on the unceded land of the Ohlone people. This podcast is a project of surge faith and is particularly designed for white people. The idea is that white people will talk to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe that white people, like many of you listening now, and like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy and speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from black and brown people who are listening, and from listeners of all faith traditions. We welcome your feedback, and we pray that this body of work is helping to tear down white supremacy. The word is resistance. For the next several months on the podcast, we're going to be talking to you, our podcast friends, about freedom. The lectionary selections over this stretch of what's called ordinary time, though these times are hardly ordinary, follow the origin stories of the people of Israel from Abraham all the way through Exodus to the arrival in the promised land. It's a long narrative arc stretching from Genesis to Joshua. It's got everything. Intrigue, betrayal, deceit, murder, infidelity, polygamy, chicanery. And at times, it's a hot mess. But in it are lessons for us about how these ancient people broke free from unjust systems and harmful social norms, or how they didn't. In these not-so-ordinary times, where the calls to defund police and tear down statues of Robert E. Lee are loud and not going away, we want to ask, is individual freedom enough, or do we need to all be free to be free? We are calling this series Hashtag Journeys to Freedom, and we're glad to have you along for the ride. This week is the continuation of the saga of the twin brothers Esau and Jacob. 
If you listened to Reverend Ann Dunlap's episode last week, then you may remember that the text tells us that the conflict between the two brothers started even when they were in their mother, Rebecca's, womb, and it made her so miserable that she wanted to die. If you didn't listen to that podcast, go back and listen to it now. God also told Rebecca that there were two nations in her belly, which refers back to Isaac, Esau, and Jacob's father, and his half-brother Ishmael. Ishmael is the son of Hagar, the enslaved woman of Sarah, Isaac's mother, who told Abraham, Isaac's father, to rape Hagar so that they could have a male heir. This is before Sarah herself became pregnant. Didn't I say something about a hot mess? What happens is that Esau ends up marrying one of Ishmael's daughters, while Jacob leaves Beersheba, goes back to Haran, the place where his grandparents left two generations before to pursue the promise of their god of land and descendants. So then one nation is born of Isaac's offspring through Jacob, and another nation is born of Ishmael's offspring through Esau. We drop into the story today as God's promise to Abraham appears to be unfolding with the continuing tale of Isaac's family. Today's passage says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the God, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give you one-tenth. I read a few extra lines from the lectionary, or past the lectionary rather, because I thought it was important to hear how Jacob decides to speak to God and kind of bargains with God. It's kind of Jacob's character a little bit. It's also important to understand that Jacob isn't going to Haran because he just wants to chill and hang out with his uncle for the summer. 
At this point in the story, Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau's murderous rage. Why does Esau want to kill Jacob? Well, Jacob may have fathered the 12 tribes of Israel, but just like Quark from Deep Space Nine, Jacob is a magnificent scoundrel. Jacob is the younger son. When God told Rebekah that she had two nations in her belly, God also told her that the older son would serve the younger son, which runs contrary to the social cultural norm. In the context of this story from Genesis, the younger son is not afforded the same rights and privileges as the older son. The older son inherits the bulk of the father's estate, land, money, livestock. It's the older son's birthright. It's not Jacob's fault he was born second into this patriarchal older son birthright system, but it's not Esau's fault that he was born first either. Now I've preached about Jacob and Esau before, applying the archetype of the trickster to Jacob, the less than honest character who nonetheless overcomes a systemic injustice and flips the script on cultural norms, even if by sneaky means. But that does not erase the fact that Jacob screwed his brother over by taking advantage of Esau's exhaustion, using food as a means of extracting from Esau his birthright. And it certainly does not erase the fact that Jacob told a bald-faced lie to his blind and dying father, effectively intercepting Esau's blessing, another privilege of the older son. If you need to, go read Genesis 25, 29-34, or listen to Pastor Anne's episode from last week. To explain those last two sentences. But Jacob makes some pretty unscrupulous decisions and behaves badly to get what he wants and advance himself in the family line. But instead of inheriting the farm as it were, he ends up running for his life. where we find Jacob today, on the run, sleeping outside with a rock for a pillow. It sounds really uncomfortable, and I almost feel sorry for him. But then Jacob has a dream. In this dream, he has a vision of a ladder, which is more accurately translated to a stairway that leads from earth to heaven. That's right. Jacob sees a stairway to heaven. I couldn't resist that. The Word is Resistance podcast does not own the rights to that guitar riff, and there is reference to it in the transcript. And on this stairway to heaven, angels or messengers of some kind are moving up and down, and they're looking at Jacob. Maybe this dream is about Jacob feeling connected to heaven, even as he is fleeing from his home, running away from what he has done. And then God is right there, right before Jacob, in his dream, extending the promise God made to Abraham down the line to Jacob, the promise of many, many offspring, blessed and covering the earth. 
So one sort of troubling way to read this story, troubling to me anyway, is that Jacob gets away with everything he's done. God blesses him and he goes on his merry way. And because of who he becomes, what he has done no longer matters. That's just so familiar. Someone becomes a Supreme Court justice, so it doesn't matter that they're a sexual predator. Someone becomes a, the president, so it doesn't matter that they're a con man. I really think the blessing Jacob receives is less about who Jacob is or anything that he deserves and much more about who God is and what God does. God meets us in our imperfection, which is good news for all of us. In a conversation I had today with my friend and former professor of Hebrew Bible and biblical languages, Professor Karina Guerrero, we talked about how God meets us in imperfection. And we also talked about how there is a way in which Jacob and his behavior are a distraction. We are distracted by Jacob not only from what God is doing, but also from the master nation-building narrative of this whole saga. Jacob is a literary tool in the construction of what would become Israel, not the nation-state that exists now, but the 12 tribes that comprise the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah, respectively. I think about how Jacob has defined himself by what he is not. He is not Esau, and therefore he steals what makes Esau Esau. I think about Jacob as a literary tool for the nation-building narrative, and I think about white supremacy as a tool in the U.S.'s nation-building narrative. And I know this is an imperfect comparison. The story of Jacob's ladder is not about white supremacy. It has nothing to do with America. But it is true, though, that white people use white supremacy to define ourselves by what we are not. We are not blackness, and we are not brownness, and we are not otherness. That is what we tell ourselves. And yet, white people stole blackness, and stole brownness, and steal anything and everything that will re maintain the myth of white supremacy and the myth of this master narrative. Nation building is ugly, bloody business. And as white American Christians, we need always maintain critical analysis and a deep hermeneutic of suspicion of any interpretation of this nation-building saga that excuses, justifies, or glorifies the manner in which this nation was built. The master nation-building narrative of white Anglo-Saxon Christian America is a blood-soaked myth and the seams that have sewn this myth together are starting to rip like I've never seen in my lifetime. The more truth that breaks through, the freer we will become. The time of white people hoarding freedom like mana is being overrun by the movement of God's people right now. The story has always been about what God is doing.
My call to action this week is that you drop everything and listen to Uncivil, the podcast that ransacks U.S. history in the Civil War era. It's produced by Gimlet Media, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. It's a stark and necessary dive into the terrifying, sickeningly violent, and depraved reality about how our country literally fought a war to keep people enslaved. But it's also about how people resisted and fought back. The link to the Uncivil podcast is in the transcripts. Go listen to it right after this podcast is over. If you're listening to this podcast, I don't need to tell you that the political situation we find ourselves in right now is serious, that the geopolitical implications of this pandemic are terrifying, and we need everyone to do their part. For white people, we've heard time and time again from black and brown movement leaders, go get your people. We need white people to be committing to anti-racist work and undermining white supremacy in 2020. I'm glad to be affiliated with showing up for racial justice because this is exactly what Surge is trying to do. We are doing some amazing work in 2020 and we need everyone's help. If you're committed to getting other white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy, please make a donation to Surge. You can donate online on our podcast page at showingupforracialjustice.org. The link is in the transcript on the Surge website where there's a little blue word that says here and it's underlined. That's the link and it'll be in the liner notes for this episode. Thanks for helping to support this podcast and organizing other white folks to show up for racial justice and show up for the new world that we're trying to build together. Thank you so much for joining me from wherever you are in this world today. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud, Twitter, or Facebook pages. Next time we have Reverend Ann Dunlap, ooh, Dunlap, pardon me, Reverend Ann Dunlap, bringing a resistance word. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. And finally, a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor this week, Maxwell Pearl. Thank you, Max. Blessings to you and all that you do. Keep pushing back on the master narratives that justify harm in this world. Love and liberation to you all. Until next time, I am Jean Jeffress. Yeah.